Hey everyone, and welcome to the Atomic Cinema Experiment. I am Peter, and joining me as always is Tara. Greetings, citizens. This is a science fiction movie podcast. Every week we get together, we talk about a sci-fi movie, and that is that is basically it. This one is particularly special for two reasons. We're, we're two days late in this going up, but we have a good reason. We have a good reason, because the mm-hmm. other reason why this is special is because this is by far the longest movie we have ever reviewed. In fact, not only that, I am fairly certain this is the longest movie I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. I think so. Unless you can have the whole of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. No, it's a trilogy. It's three movies. one film. <laughs> no, you, you don't. No. Um, I always uh, watch them in one go. But. Yeah, but but it's still three <laughs> movies, right? It's still three movies. Like, that, that, so the movie we're going to talk about is Until the End of the Earth. And Until the End of the World. Yeah, I was, I was just about to like, check and correct myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, Until the End of the World. Uh, a Wim Wenders film which came out at the start of the 90s and so here's here's a funny story about how we sort of came to be doing this right so tara mm-hmm. found this movie via criterion and said hey this looks interesting and then i was like oh hello oh, william hurts and it's sam neil okay okay and then i noticed the director was wim wenders and i happen to really love uh one of my favorite movies is paris texas and i also really like wings of desire which are also wim wenders and i went oh hey a wim wenders movie great yeah let's do that we, we'll even do it soon and I saw the runtime on IMDb. I checked the runtime and it was like two hours and like 38 minutes. And I went, oh, that's a long movie. But hey, no, no worries. No big deal. So we, we record usually on Wednesdays, right? And on mm-hmm. the Tuesday, Tara says, I'm going to watch the movie. Then. I'm going to watch this five-hour epic. And I kind of laughed and went, oh, yeah, very good. Right? You're exaggerating. You know what Tara's like? She, she's dramatic. So dramatic. <laughs> yeah, right? And the next day, so I'm, I'm going to watch the movie on, on the Wednesday. And I say, oh, I'm going to watch the movie soon. And Tara responds with, oh, yeah, I, I got through like half of it. I've still got like two and a half hours left. And I went, but you're, you're really playing up this five-hour epic joke. And Tara's response, I believe, word for word was, no, dude, I'm serious. And then <laughs> I'm like, wait, what? And I go and check IMDb again. But I scroll down to the different cuts and mm-hmm. find that two hours and 38 minutes was the theatrical cut of this movie. The director's Which cut... Which does not approve. Oh, yeah. He thinks that's the Reader's Digest version. He thinks that's basically a montage of the movie. <laughs> two hours and 38 yeah. minutes. The director's cut is four hours and 47 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> This is insane. And here's the thing. There is a movie that I know I want to see someday that is longer than this. There is a, mm-hmm. a seven-hour movie by Bella Tarr that I do want to see someday. But I've never seen a movie this long before. This this was insane. Like, she's starting this and realizing, wait a minute, like, we're ending Act 1, and I think I'm, like, an hour 50 into this. Hey, you can't rush art. You, apparently not, no. <laughs> uh, so... The plot of the movie, anyway, so we start spoiler-free as we always do, of course. I'll give you a warning before we get into spoilers. The premise of the film, to at least to a point, is that Claire, right? We're, so we're set in the not-too-distant future of 1999, right? So that's a fun My little... favourite. Yeah, fun little bit. And so we're in the future. It's a movie that's shot in uh, four different continents. I can't remember the number of countries. It said at the start, like, how many countries it was shot in. Uh, and it's not that the movie really started with this text explaining this it's like on Criterion it has like a little screen that says this movie was shot and it, it basically mm-hmm. is, is justifying the length it's like hey this is why the movie's this long and it took this yeah. long to make and blah, blah, it's blah. an epic 
like <laughs> yeah yeah so claire is this woman who has just been cheated on by her writer boyfriend played by sam neill who's her name eugene and she's kind of just like being a zombie and going to parties and doing things around uh i think she's in italy at the start of the movie and she runs yeah, into she runs into some other characters uh, but ultimately, the real sort of main part of the plot is that she runs into a character who goes by the name of Trevor, played by William Hart, who seems to be on the run from a bounty hunter or PI or whatever. And she kind of becomes a little bit fixated with him. Um, mm-hmm. And she actually ends up with some stolen money from some bank robbers that also happens along the way. And William Hart, uh, you know, Trevor steals a little bit of this money. So she she's like, becomes desperate to track him down. And it at least I felt that it was always kind of with mixed with attraction. I never felt like she was just going to get her money back. It always kind of felt like... No, it... she was definitely like being... Yeah. Um, she definitely had other motives to yeah. go. Um, and so I think that's clear from the beginning. And she goes she, she goes after him uh, in you know, whatever country next to... Uh, maybe Germany, I guess Berlin. And, Berlin, I think, yeah. yeah and Berlin, she, Moscow. Yeah, but it becomes this sort of globe-trotting, chasing after him kind of thing, and he keeps kind of slipping away, as well as getting the help. She gets this help with this other PI from Berlin to go help track him down. He has his own motives, and it becomes this globe-trotting chase around the world. And you're probably saying to yourself, all in the fact that it's set in the future for the time of the movie being made, what's the sci-fi? Well, first of all, it does actually treat it like a little sort of mild cyberpunk, and I say mild, but mm-hmm. there is... There's a lot of technology, even there's these little futuristic cars at various points. There's the technology they use, like the, the video phone calls and things like that. But there's also this like looming threat over the course of the movie, where the because the movie opens like, all throughout the film, Sam Neill's narrating because it's like him writing the story because he's an author, like his character's an author, and it's like he's writing the story mm-hmm. after the fact. And he starts by saying that this Indian satellite uh, is decaying in orbit and is falling down to Earth, and no one knows where it's going to land. So it, you know the apocalypse might be happening soon. Yeah, but it, it has a nuke on it. It has a new it, which is why it might cause some, you know, absolute. So, a country, whatever it happens to land when it eventually does, is going to be devastated by this thing. Uh, so no one knows we're safe. Um, and then there's also another element of science fiction that comes in the second half. All I'll say is it's to do with um, recording images uh, via brainwaves. And that's all I'm going to say. But I will say that it does get a lot more science fiction in the second half. So Definitely. It takes a while to get there because it's like, you know, almost three hours out of the movie before it really dives into that stuff. But there is even more science fiction. But I, I will say this. The opening, like, 30, 40 minutes, it kind of dies down once they start doing a lot of globetrotting. But I did feel like as they were going around, like, Italy, especially... That it did kind of feel like it had like a sort of like I say a, a mild cyberpunk. It felt like a we're not quite a blade runner yet. Definitely the opening scene did, yeah. Yeah, it had a tone. It has a tone that sort of gives you that. But that's the gist of the movie. At least as much as I'm willing to give you, uh, spoiler free, and you know we'll go there uh, in spoilers. But that that is it, right? So four hours forty seven minutes <laughs> is what this is. Sorry. <laughs> this is Tara's fault but it's one of I would have wanted to watch it I'm glad we've taken something that's challenging I'm glad we've, we've you know because I'd never heard of this movie and it didn't do very well at the box office it was forgotten about very quickly uh, by you know by most people right you know there's, there's only mm-hmm. places like Criterion that have kind of championed it and kind of made a point of making sure people see it and they did you know we did see it so here it is so I'll ask the question Tara how do you feel about until the end of the world um i'm a little mixed on it but i think i am overall 
like positive. I, I do think it's just bizarre enough to keep me interested, even over like the five hour <laughs> runtime. And uh, the the little bit of sci fi elements are interesting. It does feel like a a movie that was pieced together from like home movies of <laughs> Windlanders, and like he tried to make a through line of it somehow, and um, like the movie changes course a lot. And uh, unfortunately, it, it it ultimately like seems to be a little bit um, lost in its meaning. But um, but still, like the three parts that I watched it in, I still enjoyed those three parts. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. What about you? I I like it. I like it. I I do, I do have critiques, and I do have like this is the, the weirdest statement I've ever said about a, a movie's runtime, but. There is an hour in here that I don't like that much. There's like a one hour portion <laughs> that I don't like. So as weird as this is going to be, I do think you could cut out some of this and make it a really tight four hour movie. And I can't believe that sentence just came out of my mouth. But sure, sure. There, there is an hour. There's a couple of things in it that are important to the plot, but there's a one hour segment from about hour three to hour four-ish mm-hmm. that I, I'm not as keen on, right? Maybe slightly before, maybe it's like more like 2.40 to 3.40. But like... There's a segment in there where there's a lot of like montages of people just dancing and like just living life, and I'm like, this is like fluff. Mm-hmm. I like, I don't need this. <laughs> like, it's just taking up time. I think the movie is mostly known for its soundtrack because mm-hmm. he, the director went and got like, I, I guess he wrote like 20 of his favorite artists who are working at the time to see if they would be willing to write a song or music for this film that would be like. It was a challenge, though. It was like, if you would be willing to write a song that you think you'd be making this type of music 10 years from now mm. or something. And almost all of them said yes. <laughs> so there's just a ton of music in this movie that was made specifically for the film. And because of that, it has kind of an awkward old future tone to it. And that soundtrack was really successful, even though the movie was not. And, you know, music is a huge part of the film a huge part yeah yeah, yeah. And, and the music's good as well for the most part the songs yeah, are pretty for the good most part, with the exception of you two because <laughs> I, I hate you two <laughs> well i hate you too huh i was cracking a joke oh. <laughs> same joke i always hear right? yes <laughs> oh i'm so sorry I'm, just, I'm playing to the cheap seats all right sometimes you have to give them the little <laughs> cheap pop okay I just, I hate you too. And I'm not talking about the band this time. <laughs> <laughs> I hate you too. And I hate you too. Um, <laughs> I, I don't actually hate you too. I hate you too have some good stuff here they or there. make my ears bleed. But there's, <laughs> uh, there's, there's also large chunks of you too that are just completely forgettable and whatever. But anyway, like... Soundtrack's good. Soundtrack's good. And here's here's something I'm going to credit it with. I actually think this movie, despite the fact that it's got these little like silly like police cars at one point or like, these little futuristic mm-hmm. buggies or whatever, it does actually get a lot of things oddly right about the future. Oh, definitely. Like yeah. It, like obviously things are chunkier, and you know it's kind of what they'd envision them as in 1990, 1991. But here's the mm-hmm. thing: a lot of what they've got in this movie is essentially what a smartphone is now. Yeah. Or like your car navigation or yes yeah, sat nav they literally have sat nav uh yeah 
I mean, um, it's a big. Maybe cho- that was like up and coming anyway, because the internet was around at this time. I, don't, I, I maybe, I, maybe they had some like sort of sense of where it was going. But this is like a big chunky CRT screen in the car, though, and it like yeah, has like, and it tells you like where to turn, and you're like, oh, yeah, I use that every day. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but I mean, but it's a little bit more cartoony, and there's a lot of like weird like co- like computer tech in this movie that has like these little cartoony like elements to it. Uh, on the yeah, screen the bear is too much but like <laughs> it gets a lot right to the point where i'm like man they really put some thought into this and like really yeah and you know it's, nailed it's, it. it is like it was what written in like 1990 and mm-hmm. for 1999 so i think that like not too distant future is really hard to to do science fiction for that we don't really see a lot of it <laughs> like it's done well in her yeah sure but what's so funny about it though is that it doesn't, it's riskier. It doesn't so. nail 1999, but if they're, they're only about 10 years off. See, see if you add 10 years onto it, mm-hmm. they're actually pretty close. Like they're really close. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Like it's, it's not kind of insane. It's not that far off. Like obviously things look different than what they envisioned, but the the ideas are are right. And I think that's harder to do almost, you know, to do like <clears throat> a future that we'll get to in within a decade. And try to predict that rather than like the really far future. Like, and you could just make things up. Like, oh, of course we'll have be able to have ships with gravity in in space, and <laughs> we'll have Mars base and maybe a, a base on Titan or something. Um, <laughs> stuff like that. Like the the really far future, you can get real creative and nuts with, and it won't really matter so much. But this type of future writing is really risky. Yeah, I mean it's risky. It's risky if it matters to the movie if it's right. Like, like it's not that risky if it doesn't really like if it's a comedy scene and they're just making fun jokes about what might come next. It doesn't matter even if you watch it later. It doesn't matter if they've got it all wrong. Like it's fine. Mm-hmm. You don't really care. Like when I'm watching Back to the Future Part Two now, I don't like go, "Oh, it's bullshit that 2015 is not like this." I'm like, "Nah, like they're having fun with it. They're playing. They're playing oh, up the cute. jokes." Like, yeah. it, it's it says a lot about the society of when it was written, yes. where they think the future is going to go, rather than like where we actually went <laughs> you know it's that's still a movie of the 80s it's not a movie of the 2010s yes <laughs> you know oh, and it was never trying to be yeah uh in fact tara pointed out to me this week you can expect this next week but uh uh edge of tomorrow was actually set in 2020 so i guess i guess we have to do it next week oh shucks <laughs> <laughs> Because we, uh, what a shame. Well, we did Blade Runner last year, and that was set in 2019, so it makes sense. Uh, we're gonna, we're gonna. I wonder how often we can actually do this. Like, is there something in 2021 we can do this for? Like, some movies got a future date of 2021. I don't know. We'll have to. I, I hopefully, there's like a database somewhere of like movies that are set in the future, like what those dates are, and be like, okay, we need to do these movies on these years because this is just perfect. Uh, obviously for stuff it's like I mean stuff like Star Trek and Alien which is like 2250 like oh we're not gonna live to then so it's fine we'll just do them whenever but anything we don't know maybe we'll have like our our consciousness will be in the computer and we'll just make vlogs forever no mm. <laughs> are you really that upset at the thought of eternity talking movies with me how dare you is this really my future Yes, it is. We this get is this. how I die. <laughs> Much like this movie, we're getting the future right. This is the future. This. Oh, boy. I brought this on myself. Yes. 
you literally did with this movie actually you you i, I hate to use the phrase you asked for it but you literally asked for it <laughs> i did i said let's do this one yes <laughs> um one might even say pleaded <laughs> i was just scrolling through the app and i said hey criterion added a new sci-fi there's really not a lot of criterion sci-fi movies there's not most of them are godzilla movies um yeah like 80 percent of them so we talked about the the, the futurey elements and obviously we have to mention the cast we have William Hart and we have Sam Neill of course the lead of the film Claire uh, is someone who I recognize because she's in she's in Wings of Desire she's the, the leading lady in that movie as well is that a trapeze movie movie about trapeze artist I mean she, she is technically that but it's not really what the focus of the movie is about but there's, there's definitely scenes of her doing that okay I was trying to think if I had seen the movie before. It's like half black and white and half in color. I've definitely seen a movie about trapeze artists, but I was a kid when I watched it. I wasn't sure if that was it. Well, it's about an angel who wants to become human. Yes. It's like a Meet Joe Black situation. I've never seen Meet Joe Black, but I'll take your word for it. Oh, it's so good. (laughs) It's like four hours, but it's four hours of Brad Pitt and... Um, Anthony Hopkins and I love it. I'm not ready for another four hour movie tower. I need time to heal. It's not science fiction. Don't worry. Look, long movies that are over three hours are like relationships. You need time to heal when one ends, right? You can't just go back into another one. You need time to heal. All TV shows are basically long movies. No, they're in chapters. You can split them up and you can, you know, consume them in a, a way that suits you. But anyway, the actress who plays Claire, which is the point I was trying to get at before Tara so rudely tangented is into meet Mr. Joe. Uh, Solvig Martin is the name of the actress, who sadly passed away quite young. She was in her 40s when she died uh, in the 2000s. That's sad. Yeah, I was looking up she's, some of the actors. She's really great in this movie. She has like this bohemian, like carefree, very, what I think of French attitude, mm-hmm. um, and she's she's easy to fall in love with in the movie like she's she's really great she has that youthful spirit and um i think i I don't know if i've ever seen her in anything else i don't think i've seen wings of desire so it's on my list though i'll I'll check it out along with paris texas is she in that one she's not in that one but harry dean stanton's in that one though yeah i i know okay well just i'm just saying it's a major selling point (laughs) yeah He's a good actor. He's fantastic in that movie as well. He's great in Big Love with Bill Paxton. Another great actor. And find out our review of Bill Paxton's movie Edge of Tomorrow. Maybe next, next week. I think it's pretty definite next week. I think we've decided on it. Uh, yes. uh, that's how we're going to recuperate from this. That that and Transos 3, which we're doing for Patreon. Yeah, <laughs> two easy movies. <laughs> Transos 3, 80 minutes long, perfect. We could watch that three times <laughs> in the space that it took us to watch this movie. Uh, yep. So, uh, yes, says yes, yes, yes. no, she's very good. I mean, as much as obviously she's not the big name in the movie, she does. She is actually the best performer in the movie, I think, in terms of like she does mm-hmm. hold the whole thing together. Her attitude and her, the way she does become kind of passionate about this does work. The way she like walks into a room, the way she walks into anywhere really. Uh, mm-hmm. Every time she catches up with William Hart, and the way she kind of reveals herself to him, you know, being behind him or sitting down at the table or you know showing up at you know wherever he is like every single time it's kind of exciting to watch his reaction because she's so cocky about it she's like no i found yeah. you i found you again mm-hmm. 
that stuff's really entertaining. Uh, so, no, she, she's great. And I'd say what's bizarre about this movie is that the characters do end all up being very likable, even the ones you think aren't going to be likable early on. By the time mm-hmm. you get, like, halfway through the movie, that last half, like, you're kind of liking all of them. Like, they all be, yeah. kind of become likable. It's just kind of neat. I think it's I think it's her. I think her like attitude is infectious to them. Like they all long to be a bit like her. And it's easy to see why. She just has a passion for things and she sees like beauty and things that people don't notice. Um uh, she has a real like yeah, like just this bohemian almost hippie like style. And um I think it is infectious. I think the people like even the ones who are like in love with her are not like upset that she's with or in love with somebody else even they're just like just let me be close to you i just i just need that kind of positivity around me you know because it makes me better yeah kind of get that vibe hmm. so no she's very good she's very good uh yeah the movie like i think the movie is mostly pretty great i think it it channels a specific tone that I associate with Wim Wenders, especially Wings of Desire. I was getting maybe more of that than I was Paris, Texas, but I, I love that movie too. I don't love it as much as Paris, Texas, but I do love it too. Uh, and like the, the weird tone of this carefree, like the world might be ending soon, so you know why not just chase after things that we want? Uh, mm-hmm. It's kind of kind of an interesting vibe that it gives off, and I, I like that a lot in the first half of the movie. I do like the science fiction element that it introduces uh, in the back half. Unfortunately, it's kind of hampered because as it's starting to be introduced, it's when it, you get that hour of like mostly wasting time as well to go along with mm-hmm. it. But once it really gets going with that stuff, I also like that too. Um, I like it too, but it doesn't feel like it it veers like so far off track from what we've been watching a bit. Like it's like okay, now this part is being introduced, and like I, I could see where there's connections to everything that we've seen beforehand to it, but it just it feels added on and it feels I, like i will try and justify it for you but i can't do it without spoilers so right right i understand i mean and i, I understand the connections like to the like everything that we've seen so far in technology and blah 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 but it it just feels like you know the the movie has like a definitive ending oh and then there's another hour and it has this element added to it and um I, I don't know. It it just seems like the the movie it, it doesn't have a traditional storytelling technique. So I, I keep trying to find it in there, but it's it's not there, and I need to let it go. <laughs> let it go. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's art house, you know. Oh, it's it's definitely art house. It's an auteur's yeah, film. Five hours of art house. So <laughs> just and, let it go. And f- you know. <laughs> Of that, more like Claire. of that four hours 47 minutes i really like about three hours and 40 minutes of it like and, and not the first three hours and 40 minutes like i say it's an hour kind of in the sort of start of the second half give or take is kind of where i think that the, the pacing kind of hit me and it felt like it was wasting time but um overall i like it a lot um it is going to be a bit of a like a you know, it's a big choice to 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 make to rewatch this movie. The bizarre thing is, though, I kind of want to someday because I feel like going. There through... isn't any part that I feel like isn't rewatchable, or like it's it's still like just an attitude. Like the whole movie is just like a, I don't know, like an aura. <laughs> well, yeah, but the point I'm getting at though is that I think it actually will play even better in a rewatch. Bizarrely, because I I think the 
all the stuff in the first half will be enriched knowing where it goes. I, th- I think the themes of how those all those things connect actually will play even better mm-hmm. when you know what, what's coming. Um, but it's such well, a big task, about... you know, it's such Go a big ahead. thing to like say, hey, I'm going to rewatch this four hours and 48 minute you know, <laughs> movie again. Like it's such a big yeah. ask. I know, I know. There's some books that I've never gotten to just because I know they're going to be great, but they're just, there's so many pages. <laughs> <laughs> and if I don't start it, then I don't have to read it all. But I know it'll be worth it if I get through it all. It's just intimidating. <laughs> mm, yes. Yes. Uh, is there anything else? You, what were you going to say? You were going to say something before. Oh, um, yeah. Do we think that William Hurt is a good actor? <laughs> He's very one note. But yes. he's likable in his one noteness. Okay. Okay. Okay, I'll put it this way. Maybe likable's not the right word, but he does carry a presence with him. He has presence. I don't know. I'm starting to doubt. <laughs> like there are moments where I'm just like, oh, he's great. And then I'm like, there are other moments where I'm just like, is he though? Like maybe I just think he's great because he's been around for a while and maybe he's great when he's older, but like these other movies we've been watching him in, like well, he's just kind of okay. He's super dull. Clearly, clearly we, the only way to settle this is to review the Lost in Space movie as soon as possible. Oh, I love that movie. Well, I loved it when it came out. Yeah, lo- love's a bit <laughs> of a weird... I know I hate the monkey. The CGI monkey is... Space Monkey is uh, pretty. That awful. movie is definitely not well regarded. I've not seen it since I was a kid, but it's got um, it's got our boy from Chernobyl in it though. Has a lot. That's Gary Oldman in it as well. Gary Oldman's a great actor, but like, he is. He's also been in a lot of shit. Uh, <laughs> so... But the Chernobyl guy, like, I don't see him in very many things. What yeah. is the cost of lies? Oh, it's uh, Jared Harris. Why did I know Jared Harris is there? <laughs> I forgot. Like, I I have Kelly Bundy syndrome. We've gone over this before. I learned something okay. new. Something old has to go. Yeah, she has. So, some, limited space in here. Yeah, somehow it's always the things that I've told you that seem to be the stuff that gets let go. I've, I've noticed that a little bit. Weird. Hmm. I have to make room for all the Star Trek knowledge. <laughs> it's also vital. Must be held on to. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, that movie's such a product of the nineties or the, the the end of the nineties, start of the two thousands. Because like Heather Graham and Matt LeBlanc are in that movie, and it's like, yeah, this is such a time. This is such a d- specific point in time. Yeah, uh, this was right before uh, Austin Powers two, where she probably had her biggest like role. Of the th- and yes, I know. Not pe- Boogie Nights. Oh, I've not seen Boogie Nights. I'll take your word. I mean, I guess <laughs> I guess that one counts. Yeah, but like I've never seen it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Boogie Nights is where the world went, who is that? <laughs> well, to be fair, she was in Twin Peaks long before these movies, but oh. obviously uh, she's not as remembered for that. Isn't she a child? Nah, she's like 18, 19, isn't it? Okay. Yeah. So yeah, she's, she's like 30 by the time we get to 2000, I think. So, you know. Okay. Bye. Uh, but yeah, William Hart. I, I think he's likable. He's got presence at least. So, like, I don't know. I think he's. I I guess maybe I'm, maybe I'm being too hard on him. Like he definitely plays a certain type of person that 
you know, it exists. Like there are some people out there who are just kind of dull in one note, but I, I think I see why she's drawn and attracted to his mystery because of his introduction. Mm-hmm. And, but I don't see how he's, he, he doesn't have charisma or anything like in their relationship together. I, I buy because of her, but not because of him, you know? Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. She's also, he's also notably the one who she's not, like, everyone else kind of wants to be around her. He's the one who keeps running away. So I think part of the appeal is that, you know, the one thing you can't have. The one sure, th- sure. The one thing yeah. you're told you can't have is the one thing that you want the most. Uh, like, of course. Th- that makes some, and, s- um, some sense to me. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I am being too hard on William Hurt. Yeah. This is his uh, third movie on this show. Uh he, he- yeah, we did Dark City and we did Alter States. And I I, I think I, I don't like the way he kisses. <laughs> it comes off as kind of aggressive. Like, not that he's like hurting her, but just like he's doing it wrong. He's, he's an aggressive kisser. It's a weird know. critique, but it, it seems it, it seemed that way in Altered States and it seems that way in this movie. I wonder if he actually kisses like that in real life or if it's just like he thinks this is a dramatic kiss. So this is what he like does in the movies. He thinks this is what passion yeah. looks like. In his, but it comes off too strong. Like, whoa, slow down. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure he's a fine kisser. I'm not willing to test, test it out, but... <laughs> 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 I'm, not, I'm not going to take that bullet for the team but yeah I think we'll get spoilers then I think we'll give the spoilers so we can actually start talking about what the movie has in it you know in terms of the plot and you know where it goes and some of the big themes and ideas that it introduces so I will take this time to thank our patron producers uh, for for the month so thank you to David Short Alison M. Fordyce Cindy Palacios Tyler Hess and Talking Superman thank you to you guys that means they're all patrons at the $20 or above tiers but you don't have to be a patron at that high a tier do you Tara? Why no? You can check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash TV and donating as little as $1 per month will get you bonus episodes of The Ace. You can follow along the Transfer Saga with Peter and myself and the adventures of Jack Death and Helen Hunt and see the continuing adventures of that. And yeah, you'll get a bunch of other things that we have uploaded like um time cop judge dread um some others i've forgotten (laughs) and there's a whole backlog catalog of horror films as well without myself but that's that's all right they're still pretty fun to watch or listen to um yeah so go check it out thank you (laughs) beautiful See the way you say thank you at the end of that, because I've noticed this becoming more and more of a thing. Is the way you say thank you, it kind of sounds like you're assuming someone's saying that was great, Tara. <laughs> you're like, thank you. It's what I hear. <laughs> I hear it in my head. Is no one saying it. Yes, uh, and it's worth mentioning the February bonus episode, um, of of the show. A short month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, even though it's a longer February than most years but uh because i'll beer uh if anyone didn't know by a day by a day yes uh but uh, uh, the february bonus episode is a little bit late and it will actually be in the first couple of days of march and this is also because of this movie being so long that we had to push this episode back because we were going to do the bonus movie 
after this movie. Alright then, so we have 4 hours and 47 minutes of content to divulge here. So I won't necessarily go as beat for beat as I typically do because we'd be here all day. And also, the truth is, is that when a movie's 5 hours long, it's actually harder to take in as many details, like remember all the details, retain it all in the same way as a 2 hour mm-hmm. movie. It just isn't as possible. Uh, so we'll probably take it sort of in in chunks. The first chunk being, I, I described the first chunk being kind of the introduction, I mean obviously, but like what I mean by that is uh, where she kind of wakes up on her own, clear that is, and she just goes on mm-hmm. her drive on her own, she's driving, because I actually thought, oh I can see how this movie's going to be five hours, because there was quite a montage here at the start of her just driving, listening to music, and I thought, is that how why this is five hours long, there's going to be this all through the movie, of like just these montages <laughs> of people, and that's not true, once, once it starts getting into the plot, it does kind of start being a bit more like a movie. Uh yeah and that's yeah. fine uh and, and to its credit it's not like it was an absurd amount of time it was just because i knew how long the movie was i went oh is this how we do it is there's going to be a lot of this a lot of soaking in yeah. the atmosphere which to be fair the atmosphere that's, that's there is really good like it actually is quite effective i agree uh and so and it's a nice little, i even enjoyed the driving yeah it's a nice little twist actually when she eventually gets back to uh her ex-boyfriend uh sam neil uh eugene and she like pulls off the like, what is revealed to be a wig and like reveals the curly mm-hmm. blonde hair, and I went, "Oh, look at that. the M Night Shyamalan my ass." Uh, I mean, not really. It's not that bit of a twist. But... I'm really a blonde, <laughs> and then takes off. Hair goes. Yeah, <laughs> she's like a reverse black canary. Okay. <laughs> that landed with such a thud. I love it. So, <laughs> yeah, that's just so she. Basically, she's driving along and she gets so bored because the highways are all jammed because of this the satellite thing that's going to happen soon. Now, my only critique, I guess, and it's not really a critique because, there's, I mean, I don't really, like, care about it, but I will say that I do think the one unrealistic part, <laughs> I guess, of the movie for me is that, like, how long is a satellite taking to, like come through orbit? Like, I mean, maybe maybe there is a, a reason for this. Maybe there's someone can explain to me the 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 scientific reason is why it's taking so long but like i have been know what you're asking for but okay yeah but i i have been so trained that something falling through orbit if it's if if it's falling through orbit especially to a degree where they don't know where it's going to land like how how exactly is it maybe it's doing something where it's kind of i don't know but i just don't understand why it was like because it's literally weeks pass it weeks Mm -hmm. pass while this thing's still coming through orbit yeah, I mean, I maybe it's only knocked off its orbit slightly and it's enough for it to be drawn in real slow. Just, I don't know. It's just deteriorating slightly, yes. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, I mean, it's just fine, whatever. Hell, this could be completely accurate. Maybe this is just, a, you know, something that I don't understand and that's fine. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Yeah, but I guess just other movies have trained me to, you know, see things coming through the orbit and like... Yeah, we watch a lot of action movies. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, but that could just be movies that have done that to me, it's so it's fine. a big ball of flame coming through the sky. Of, yeah. yeah. Right over like San Francisco or New York City. <laughs> <laughs> so, but she, she basically says, oh, I'm fed up with this. Uh, so, I mean, she actually doesn't have any dialogue yet. I, I love that there's almost... All on the narration at the start, there's no dialogue from Claire until a little bit later because even though this sounds like it's right next there's again there's a lot of driving before we get to this uh where mm-hmm. she runs into uh chico and his buddy who it turns out are bank robbers she literally runs into them yes well he throws out his beer bottle and it hits her windshield and then she's you know not intentionally but the the the, the impact kind of makes her swerve into him and then like you know 
So the it destroys her windshield entirely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, 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 and then she, uh, she, the, the car like rolls over. Like it's a, it's a really good like crash scene. Mm. Uh, she gets out and she sort of stumbles over to complain and like find out what's going on. And Chico, the sort of main one of the two who we see a lot of in the movie, he doesn't even listen to it at first. He just walks off into the desert and goes for a piss. <laughs> yeah, he's real upset. Yeah, but everyone's really nice to each other because only they only have one functioning car now. You know, they take her to like you know a motel or whatever, and when she finds out what they've done. Like, he offers her, like, a job. Like, hey, you know, we need to, like, you know, drop the... He would just rob this bank. Uh, like, how about you, uh, you know, take the money for us to this address? And, like, she doesn't know this, but he's actually got, like, a, a tracker in the bag just in case she double-crosses <laughs> them. But it's like, no, if you take this money and, like, hide it for us, we'll give you a third. Like, you can have a third of it. Uh, yeah, because they're kind of stuck where they are. They only have the one car and it's hers. Yeah. So she takes it and she, she you know, and it's, it's actually on her way to you know france because you know she used to live in paris with sam neil uh she runs into william hart who's like on the, the payphone next to her but i mean like video phones though mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, they have this weird like elephant trunk thing that comes out that you put your ear against <laughs> and then there's a, a screen on there <laughs> they're funny looking but yeah, it's all right it's not it's, it's not too far off from what we're doing yeah i mean we're actually having a video call around the world right now so i mean yeah just without the elephant trunk. Yeah, I mean, I, I could hold this up to my ear, I suppose. <laughs> that, that would, the audio people got nothing out of that. The audio people didn't even get the, the visual joke that I was uh, going for. Uh, but you know, she runs into Good. him, and he he sort of hightails out there after like a, a brief interaction, and then this bounty hunter slash PI dude comes up. Uh, Bart, his name is, and he's mm-hmm. asking questions. And she kind of liked him enough to lie for him, uh, especially since she kind of notices that he's got a gun. Like he's, you know, he's got like a holster when he's like, so, when he sort of like opens his jacket for something, she sees the gun, and mm-hmm. uh, because of that, you know, like she uh, like goes to find him. Um, actually, he gets in her car, right? Yeah, he gets in her car. Yeah, and she said, "Hey, someone's looking for you." Yes, it is. So she agrees to like travel with them to to Paris, and they sort of together. And they have to do a little pretend, pretending at one point because the cops and the little futuristic buggies come up and pull them over. Uh, and you know he finds out about the money in the bag, and she she like finds out that he does have a wife and son, which is technically true, but they're, they're separated. He's not with them anymore. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so there's a lot of setup here, and there's a little bit of flirtation. But, you know, when he leaves her in Paris, like, she doesn't find out until she gets back to Sam Neill's place and, like, unloads the money that there's a note saying, I owe you, because he's taken, a, like, a couple of wads of cash. And is and Sam Neill's like, well, I mean, can you really be mad at someone for stealing your stolen money? <laughs> like, is, is that... <laughs> like, really... what you do, call the cops? Yeah, so they count it all and all the, all the rest of it. Um, it. I think Sam Neill's, like, character's kind of interesting to me for this, like, next portion of the movie because he's still in love with her right and he feels guilty about what he did because he had sex with her best friend and pretty rude and her attitude towards this like later on when she talks to him about it is that 
yeah, that, like she still loves him and she still wants wants him in her life, but that kind of ruined any possibility of this ever being a romantic relationship. Like that, that I mean, the, yeah, and we see her with her friend later on, who like apologizes to her for it. It's like I don't know what happened, and it was all so fast or whatever. And she's like, yeah, whatever, it's fine. Like yeah, very civil. We'll be okay. Like it's certainly not your fault, and like she has no blame towards her at all. She yeah, does and- sort of blame him because he's in the relationship with her should have known better yeah characters in this movie are very civil to each other in almost every circumstance which is kind of weird yeah. but it gives it this kind of charm as well at the same time but like they even ha- i think they even have sex actually we don't see it but they sort of like we see them in bed like you know under the sheets together so it's you know it's presumed that they probably did but it's kind of like a last hurrah i guess but it's after this where you know he maybe it's a no hard feelings sex uh, yeah but he <laughs> kind of like you know says ah oh, who's this guy you're obsessed with and like this is a bad idea all these things and mm-hmm. like and she she insisting she's going to go after him and she you know she does and he kind of ends up following her and like that's kind of the story of the movies that he's following in pursuit and he's chasing after her but he's writing the stories he's going and mm-hmm. obviously they're eventually all together at one point but um this is actually one of the first big things i want to bring up into work so i actually kind of want to skip to the ending here because i kind of want to as we go through the movie talk about how stuff relates to where it goes because mm-hmm. it's going to be really awkward to get to the end and have to come back and say, hey, this, this bit and this bit and this bit and how it all... So, the big science fiction thing that happens towards the end of the movie, what William Hurt's actually doing, the big mystery, because there's a lot of like theorization throughout the film, like, is he like a spy? Is he on the run because he stole something? Is, you know, all these different things. And yeah. what he's actually doing uh, is that he's going around the world with this special like, v- like VR-style camera. And it's this special technology that his father, who's played by Max von Sydow, who we meet uh, later in the movie, like I knew he was way, gonna, way later. Yeah, once <laughs> like we get hour to three, yeah, three hour mark, we get to meet him. But like, he's going to remember this special camera. That's this. His father, who's this big scientist, this big shot, who's working in Australia in like this secret lab to develop this thing. They can basically record images that the blind can see. Right? It's this idea of like taking these images it sort of detects the brainwaves of the person seeing mm-hmm. them so that the person has to wear these when they're taking the photos or the video rather and then mm-hmm. it can be transmitted later into a blind person which is uh his what you know his father's wife his mum, right i was trying yes. to, know how to say that the most succinct way possible but yeah his mum's blind and this is for her so that's why right. and the reason why he's being chased while there's like people after him is because the u.s government want this technology because of all the nefarious things they may be able to do with it mm-hmm. and that's and why the, the guy that's chasing after him the guy specifically um what was his name burke or something uh, burke. he he is working for his dad so he's trying to track him down to get this technology back to his father yes um so you've got that and then when she can't find them at first she actually gets the pi uh, from berlin because uh, she she does get to the Berlin place on her own, uh, by overhearing uh, Bart on the phone at one point and like sort of like figuring things out, uh, but she she you know gets ditched by him again because uh, they arrange to meet each other later, and then he doesn't show up. Right, that's basically what happens. Uh, but then the chase is going. But anyway, so at the end of the movie. The big thing is, is this is for the mum, right? And they try a couple of times, like, the person who actually took the video has to kind of, like, re-experience it as they look at the video so that they can mm-hmm. then, beam, as, you know, stream the, the, the brain waves into the, the, the cortex of the blind person. You know, fun science fiction ideas. It really, you know, they're in a lab at this point. It's starting to feel more sci-fi. And, 
wink, all these like distorted like images that they make. It was actually giving me like, almost altered states vibes. The way it was kind of like looking distorted Definitely. and like, all that stuff, and it looked really cool. And eventually, because once eventually in the movie, when when Claire does actually end up joining uh, Trevor, who we find out is really called Sam, when she joins Sam permanently, and they actually sort of bond and stick together. Which is when I said the movie was ending Act 1. That's at the hour 50 mark. Uh, <laughs> uh, when he accepts her as like a permanent companion, like, she ends and up... That with happens co- in, like, Tokyo, I think. Yes, that happens in Japan. Uh, like, that's the point in the movie where... He, this is taking a toll on him. Like, it takes a toll on the person who's, like, taking the video. So she actually does one of them for him. She, like... Because he's going around and getting all the family members that she's never seen. Like, you know, his siblings, uh, old family mm-hmm. friends of the mum. Like, all these people she's never been able to see because she's been blind since she was a child. And all, all of his siblings as well, of course. Like, you know, him and his, like, sister who's to her. Their mum's never seen. They've never seen... She's never seen her kids. She was always blind. Yeah. Or her grandkids. Like, they show off the grandkids too. So they succeed in doing this, and the big spoiler, which I think Tara was, was what you were saying when you said that it has a natural endpoint, is that they kind of achieved this. She gets to see her kids for the first time, and then she dies, and we have this big funeral sort of procession, and they bury her. But we have this added like segment, this extra hour, forty minutes, whatever it is, at the end, where it introduces this new idea, where the uh, Max von Sydow has this this plan. He's like, hey, we can take images from brainwaves here. Does that mean we can take images from stuff that's already in the brain, meaning your dreams? Can we can we look at dreams? And he he's able to accomplish it. You know, he he does this to himself, and then Sam does it. And they hey, you know, hey Claire, maybe you should do this. And it, they make a, a big point throughout the movie that Claire doesn't really sleep, and part of the reason why she doesn't sleep because she doesn't like her dreams. And mm-hmm. so she does it as well, and she sees like this image of herself, and how it's kind of weird. Most people don't see themselves when they dream. You know, they, they everything's first person or whatever. You don't really see yourself and but she does see herself and the the last like half hour of the movie is basically them all becoming addicted to the images of their dreams like they don't even want to do anything else all they want to do is like obsess about their dreams it's, it's, like, it's like a literal yeah, it's drug like, it's like physically taking a toll of them yeah and it's and to quit yeah, it, they all become like mindless zombies and, and forget about the natural world and to quit it they do literally have to go cold turkey she's locked in a cage for like days uh, to get mm-hmm. over it, uh, Sam's like out in the outback, just kind of like wandering and eventually like drawing things, and he eventually gets over it. It's a very kind of like drug thing, but it's not about drugs, but it uses it as an addiction. So essentially, what this movie I think is about, and we've we've encountered this theme before, some in some ways, is the the danger of nostalgia and the, yeah, the I was po- getting Watchmen vibes, yeah, and the the, the poison <laughs> sure. of of the image, and I think the reason why this relates to a lot of the first chunk of the movie is that claire never thinks about the past claire is always moving forward and she's this adventurous person and mm-hmm. she's willing to keep going and i think one of the big one of the reasons why i wanted to get all this stuff explained just now is because this stuff with the with uh with sam neil with with eugene like he immediately wants to cling on to this relationship he wants her back and for the next chunk of the movie when he's chasing her around he is kind of he thinks it's kind of hopeless but he still kind of wants to win her back and he wants to kind of like, you know, mm-hmm. somehow convince her that she should be with him. Um, and he does eventually give it up. But what's interesting about it is that he gives it up because she eventually kind of, like, through her actions and through how she is with him, because she doesn't treat him horribly. She's, she's still very nice. She still hugs him when she sees him. She still treats him like someone she mm-hmm. cares about in her life. She can essentially influences him to let go of this past that he can't have anymore. He can. She convinces him to 
like in a natural way where it's healthy where he doesn't seem upset about it to let go of this past that he can't have and not obsess over the nostalgia and she's so about looking for these adventurous new things and we talked about how she is this influence in everyone around her and mm-hmm. that last chunk of the movie it kills that dead in fact all of these characters we're talking about end up in australia with them because that's when the satellite goes down and they're not even sure if the rest of the world still exists they're in this like secluded little place where the lab is and the, the, the world may have ended we mm-hmm. may be on our own and for a large part of the movie they think that's maybe the case and that's another part of the sci-fi of course is that we might be in a post-apocalyptic world now <laughs> we don't know um so really fun idea but they're all together they become this happy family of friends who all live together and the, like, even the characters who have been kind of like antagonistic like winter the the pi like bart they all become part of this family and the moment they, they split up the moment they all decide to leave except sam neil is when they all start becoming obsessed with the dreams and that she's no longer this like this bastion of like moving forward and like th- you know solving things in the world and chasing new things she becomes obsessed with this image of her past uh she becomes obsessed with something that she can't quite explain and for her it's loneliness for for uh the father it's the sadness of his wife and all that and for you know for Bart it's because he can't see his son anymore and that's what he becomes obsessed with um it actually made me think a lot of uh, that black mirror episode oh the my god what? <laughs> you've been going for so long i'm sorry i'm sorry <laughs> i'm sorry but i had a big point to make okay i'm sorry but it made me think of that black mirror episode and uh, the entire history of you a little bit but that's okay there you go your okay. thoughts your yeah. thoughts on my thesis <laughs> Jeez, where to start? You just went through like five hours of movie. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay. Well, yes, it, that was very well thought out. It was very well explained, and um, Windwenders would be very proud. <laughs> You're not reviewing my. I'm asking, what do you think about that that, that read? Do, do you? I mean, yeah, I, I definitely picked up on the on people getting lost in nostalgia, and it was hard not to not to see them all glued to their tiny devices and their screens and ignoring everything. Like the whole movie has been about her admiring the world and every place that she goes to, and it takes you know the time and care to actually go to these places. And the movie's very beautiful. Like, it's a mm-hmm. beautifully shot film. And you really do admire every place that they go to and how different it is and how, like, the the natural beauty of the people and the the land and the, the architecture and the culture comes through. But and here they are, like, just ignoring that huge part of their lives that they, you know, that, that they've all admired in Claire and instead are just glued to their devices and are stuck in something that they think feels just as good, the nostalgia or getting lost in, in this, uh, and what technology could give them. And because of that, they, they've lost the thing that they've, you know, maybe took for granted. Yeah. Or... I, what's interesting about it though, is I don't necessarily think, cause I think there's a counterpoint to it in the movie as well, where like, Sam Neill finishes the the, the, the the novel he's writing, right? The book about this. And he mm-hmm. gives it to Claire and she's, as she's going through cold turkey and she reads it. And she's kind of better by the time she finishes it. Um, and I think I think what it's kind of saying is that it's not that... Because like, I think she was kind of the extreme end of the, the, the equation where she was not even thinking about her past at all to an unhealthy degree, right? As much as they all admire mm-hmm. this in her, she is kind of the extreme. And I think the idea that like she becomes obsessed with this image, but actually having a thought out process, this this written document of everything, 
still helped her process like she was avoiding the past before and then she became obsessed by it and so Mm -hmm. i I think there's like a balance that the movie's trying to get across where it's like no no you have to still understand your past and be able to, to be able to move on from it you can't just ignore it it has to be a part of you but you don't obsess over it either and constantly chase it again like you you can move on to new things um so i think i think there's that element to it there's also maybe a slight element to the fact that uh Siddle's wife you know uh William Hurt's mom she like when she's when we hear her talking about the the images she's seen for the first time is that she doesn't actually necessarily love them like she's actually like the world's actually a lot darker and like it's not as like perfect as she'd pictured in her mind it kind of ruined the illusion of what she thought the world was <laughs> yeah she does have well also the world is going through this constant fear of it ending and mm-hmm. like everyone seems to be sad like even the people they interview like are uh, they don't they they look sad and maybe they're sad because they think or they know that she's dying or that she they're sad for her because she's never seen anything but like it it does come off as like she doesn't really i don't know if she's better off for seeing the people that she she loves you know she she even tells um you know Cedar that that I don't need to see your face like i i know you're beautiful i know what you look like cuz you know, she's been with him for so long and she has an image of him and she's touched him and she's she's known him for so long. Yeah, she Ma- has Max von Sydow, by the way. Max von Sydow, by the way, who is already an old man in this movie and is still alive and kicking today. Just want to <laughs> point still, that out. Still looks the same. <laughs> yeah, he still does. Um, actually, if it's, it's, I think it's worth mentioning as well the correlation of like, like both her husband and her son obsessing over her getting to see images that she doesn't necessarily feel that she needs and they're obsessed about this and then once she's gone they obsess over seeing images themselves of something they've never seen right of these dreams that they've never remembered or uh, but they get addicted to it yeah so but the idea that they were already addicted before for her sake they're already addicted to like solving this for her when it was something she didn't really need Um, I think there's something to be said there and this I I like the detail of the technology that it's it's not just an image that they're trying to project into her head. It has to also be a feeling like Mm -hmm. the memory has to be, uh, has to just be uh, emotional too. And that's why like Claire is so good at it. Like they call her a natural, like no one else is able to do it because they're trying to science the shit out of it, you know? (laughs) But but Claire goes in she's like, Oh, I understand feeling. I know empathy. I know sadness and, and happiness. Like she's, she's the free spirit. Of course she's good at that. And, you know, I, I just like that extra detail. And of course, Claire like fits right in. Yeah, no, I mean, these elements are all really good. And I, uh, like it feels like such a, an extra segment to the movie but i actually think it does kind of take everything the movie did up until that point and make it like mm-hmm. have kind of a point I, I suppose beyond just the, the actual plot of like getting the images to the to the mum and like having her see for the first time because uh, i think if it just ended there like it wouldn't really be saying anything that much really it would just be kind of like okay they've completed their task that was their goal but it doesn't really say something about what they were doing until this last section um yeah and how this was kind of like you know it's like they had this goal in mind but it was actually the journey along the way that gave them all this adventure that gave them all this growing you know and claire was the only one who was just doing it for that sake everyone else had like a goal in mind and oh because she kind of had she had the goal of him but like for her it was more of just the the adventure itself whereas for everyone else it was about chasing something in particular yeah i mean when the adventure was over and you know every everybody was was separating because of the, they were all 
stuck on this technology and you know she she leaves him behind like it's over and mm-hmm. that she's leaving well, that for, part of her behind too for, for the record it's not everyone it's only her William Hart. Every, after everybody leaves and those who are left yeah it's it's her and and sam and cedow yeah well i'm just specifying that though because like, i just make it clear that you know winter and bart leave because they find out like they get like a radio transmission that confirms that the rest of the world is still living like it's still there you know the world didn't die uh, yeah the, the satellite knocked out like the ability to pick up on some radio signals so and because they're on an, an island <laughs> well i mean it's it's itself it's self uh, a nuclear emp uh, which we find out in a really kind of exciting scene because uh, like they're in a plane, like they're, like they're in Australia already, and they've like got mm-hmm. a plane together to like fly to where they're going, and it basically like it knocks out the plane engine like while they're in the air, so yeah, so like just sort of do a, sort of, just gliding, just a glade landing, yeah. Uh, and yeah, it's actually a very a very beautiful scene too, the way it's shot. On it, I think the whole movie is beautiful. There's so much stuff. But, yeah, the movie's gorgeous. Like the, sure. even just like her walking through like streets and stuff, it just looks really great. And they shot this in all these real locations and you can tell it just it feels so authentic. And even when they're doing like extra little bits to make it look like it's the future, it still feels like this authentic just like it it's weird to say this, but it, it's almost like the the movie is shot in with like an optimistic lens. You know, like mm. everything is is beautiful, and you don't really, I don't know. It, it's like watching a National Geographic show or something well, for all these places, but with a, a storyline through it. But I think this is the key thing, though, is that it's beautiful until they get to that lab, and then all of a sudden they're they're in the lab, and it's kind of just you know drab and boring and metallic, and you know all these things. Yeah, I mean there are, there are still parts though that are are like pretty nice, like. I mean, they're always partying and stuff and making music together. And oh, no, that's no, 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 that's outside. I mean, literally inside the lab. Like, everything's beautiful mm-hmm. until you get into that room. And that's where... When, yeah, and that's where sterile, like, covered in poly and yeah, metal. But, and, but importantly, yeah. though, that's where, when the three, char- when the three characters who get addicted to the, the dreams and the images from the dreams, mm-hmm. that's where they kind of hang out. They just kind of start sleeping in there. There's literally sleeping bags on the floor. They're ignoring the world. They don't even go outside. They're just in there, and that's it. Uh, so again and it's funny because like you, you could almost read this as like some sort of like anti-film and tv message but it's it, obviously it's a director who obviously loves his job and loves making movies so it's not well it's hard not to watch this now and just see people you know addicted to their cell phones yeah not wanting to get to go out of it you know that that's also a very black mirror comparison which, yeah which makes this again we talk about this movie got so many things right like if you want to just take that simple idea of people just staring at their phones too much and being obsessed with like getting recognition on their phones like it's very much mm-hmm. kind of like a, a prelude to that and then on top of that there's obviously some uh, philosophical talk about how like seeing like your dream that's came from within inside you is kind of like seeing like your own god because it's like something that's like you're not controlling it it's just in there like it's just something yeah your it's not doing. supposed to be something you can see like you know it's it's just it's a thing that your your brain does you know unconsciously <laughs> literally yeah i, I also kind of and this, this kind of goes as well what i was saying before how the first half of the movie is so free-spirited and so adventurous mm-hmm. that I, I almost took it like part of the reason why they got addicted was not just because they were seeing things like you know like william hurt seeing his son again and stuff like that but also because it felt like 
okay, these dreams must be what I really want deep inside. So they become addicted to this idea of like, there's, there's a plan. Trying to, there's a, there's trying a, to decipher yeah, him. There's yeah. a roadmap of what I'm supposed to do rather than just doing things that feel right. And they become obsessed with the idea that, let's, let's say this is their God. It's the obsession of there's a God to tell me what to do. My dreams will tell me what to do. And they're addicted to that idea. Um, and that's also a nice little read in the movie. Uh, where no because that, that completely makes them reliant on it and makes them shut down if you rely on someone else to like make all your choices for you then you you know that's it so i don't think that i would ever get addicted to that sure i don't think i dream i i really remember my dreams but I, I think everyone does dream you just don't remember them there's a difference that's what i've heard but i never dream like i i dream when i wake up from an alarm and fall back asleep yes then i start dreaming no, but I then I know that's that I'm dreaming and I know I'm late and I'll wake myself up. That's when I know. That's when I remember my dreams typically is when I've sort of woken up already and sort of drift back or off. Or if I've had a nightmare that I've had before. Then I remember it. Okay, well that's definitely dreaming now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think because that has such an emotional response Yes. and there's something kind of familiar before it. Do you ever have like recurring nightmares? No. <laughs> Never. <laughs> oh so the one thing i will say is that sometimes i feel like my dreams have continuity like ooh, like the twilight zone episode you hate like i feel like i feel like it feels like i've been here before and like there's like a backstory that i just understand even though like <laughs> there isn't like it's just weird yeah but yeah, anyway maybe that's uh, why dreams are so tempting in this movie because there's something there that's familiar yeah they're usually just really i know this random. world <laughs> Like if if anything, like the most unrealistic thing about uh, dreams in movies is you know William Hurt's dreaming about his dead or not his dead son, sorry, his son who he can't see anymore. Uh, mm -hmm. Like I'm like yeah, none of my dreams are like meaningful things about people I know. So I mean, some people may be there, but it's always something really no. random. I mean, sometimes yeah, I'll be like in my elementary school, surrounded by my high school friends, and like, but we're all thirty. <laughs> my, my, I mean, hell, the last dream I remember. I'm pretty sure, like, I was in a version of a city that, but it was the name of a city I've been to, but didn't look anything like it. And then I was in a hostage situation, and like, right. But in your mind, you're like, this makes sense. Yeah, but the weird thing is, is I don't remember being scared in the hostage situation. I remember just being like, well, I'm in a hostage. This is inconvenient. I'll have to like message someone and say and I'm going to be late. Every detail that comes up is like, of course, the right thing that happened and yeah. makes sense, and was maybe was always like that. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, it's weird. It's a <laughs> I, don't, I don't know but uh but no like, and that's not to belittle any of the ideas this movie has about dreams because they're actually all very interesting uh yeah and i i think you you know they did a, a decent job of making the footage of the dreams look you know unusual mm -hmm. uh, like something technology is trying to e extrapolate but is not quite able to make a crystal clear image because dreams aren't really that way so yeah uh it's yeah it's a really good visual i think uh like i say the, 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 when they get to the lab right when this i mean when i say there's a couple of important plot points in the, the world that i don't like that much yeah I, I think the first couple of times they try with the mum to like get out to see things they're important scenes right and they're in that hour but everything else mm -hmm. around them is just them like dancing and, and partying and like just playing music and i'm like I get that you're showing that they're having like a happy like life here, but like one little montage would have done this. I don't need this to be like forty minutes of <laughs> of a section of it the movie. It is interesting to see all these characters 
from from Claire's like adventure just mm. all in one place and like just starting a jam band together. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because uh, Chico loves uh, drumming. He's he's a, he's a drummer, and you know we've glossed over some of the adventure here, like you know, like Chico showing up to help them at one point, and how she kind of finds them a couple of different times, and or how even uh, when they first get to Australia, like they, like both uh, uh, Eugene and Sam get thrown in jail for a night because they have a fist fight. Because basically Eugene can't help himself but punch him for all the danger he's put Claire in, um, or the <laughs> fact that after they get off the plane. Uh, Bert actually handcuffed Claire to the door, so they have to actually carry the door of the plane with them for like miles and miles. <laughs> that was a fun note. Yeah. Uh, yeah, my my favorite part of it though is when they finally get to like a, like a place with like bolt cutters so they could cut it off. The uh, like like he like, just starts slamming it on the ground and jumping on it because he's so happy to finally have to carry it anymore. <laughs> what detail that what detail that made me laugh in the in the was early on in the film when she's in the car with William Hurt and they have these like. Their music tracks are like on these little credit card looking things, mm. which you know it's fine. But like he's like, "Hey, you want you mind if I put some music on?" And she's like, "Sure." And he puts on this like a uh, pygmy tribe children singing mm-hmm. something. She goes, "Oh, it's beautiful." I'm like, damn, I can't believe that worked. <laughs> <laughs> Let me put on some music, baby. <laughs> 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 like he was oh, definitely geez. he definitely chose that song to make her not interested in him and somehow the opposite effect happened <laughs> yeah it's worth mentioning he's willing so to keep he keeps running away from her like over and over again and the time she, he actually, she actually catches up with him and he sort of lets her stay is when he's actually essentially completely blind himself from using the the, the device to take the yeah the he's just blind and playing pachinko yeah. in tokyo um and she actually has to help him and there is something to be said here about him becoming so vulnerable that he needs her to take care of him for a little bit and how that kind of makes them bond. And maybe that even like kind of relates to like how he sees his parents' relationship because obviously... He's uh, gone blind like his mom. Yeah, his father lately probably helped take care of her for a long, you know, her whole life, you know, from when he met her. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure she's fairly independent, have grown up as a blind person, but I mean, there's, there's just an extent of like, no, around the house he's going to help and there's all these little things that he probably does for her and... Uh, maybe that makes made him bond with her in a way that he, that he didn't expect and so that's just, actually one of my favorite scenes actually early on is the first time that they do kind of like get together and they actually have sex uh in like a, a motel room or whatever and winter's mm-hmm. still hunting them down and he shows up when they're in bed together and like you know she, she, she's they're both kind of naked and they're kind of like there's a bit of a standoff and like I felt so bad for her because I, I knew what William Hurt was doing. It was so obvious mm-hmm. what he was about to do. Where and she was just like, yeah, totally, just wouldn't even think of it. Yeah, where you know he's, he's just in the handcuffs and he ends up like, and I I, I thought they were going to do like a thing where because because he takes the handcuff off of him because they, they were handcuffed previously from winter and they were running around like that literally tethered together with handcuffs and they had sex with the handcuffs on which sounds kinky but really just inconvenient because they're handcuffed to each other yeah <laughs> but i mean might as well have sex what else are they gonna do uh, yeah play pachinko i mean they're not in japan at that point but still <laughs> um <laughs> But you know, so he comes in and he takes a, he gets the key off of Winter and he takes a, his handcuff off and then he handcuffs Winter to the other one and she's like sort of laughing like yeah yes is so great um and he's like wait a minute I'll, I'll let me just get my clothes on before I uncuff you and then he just says sorry and leaves <laughs> and I'm like yeah 
Clear, come on, you saw this coming. He was so obviously going to bolt it again. I mean, this feels yeah. a little, this feels a little dirtier though because he just had sex with her. It's like, nah, you like you 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 got some something out of this before you ran. Like you know, you you had your your encounter with her, and now you're you're bolting. Um, maybe that's why I don't like William Hurt that much. Uh, uh, maybe, maybe. Uh, he also he has like a weird mo- there's like a weird portion of the movie actually I was going to say where like all the hotels I think it's in Russia. Uh, are booked up so they end up paying a ridiculous amount just so they can sleep in the lobby <laughs> so they're all just kind of like camping around in the lobby uh, that's a whole portion of the movie too uh, but yeah so it's in Japan where they go to like a like a healer and they got like Komodo, they got Komodos on and this is where they finally connect where they just kind of like they have like a proper love scene this time it's not just like you know passionate like random or handcuffed together sex it's like a proper like Oh, we're giving ourselves to each other and we're sensual yeah. and all these yeah. things. Uh, yeah, like you said, because of the vulnerability. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they finally connect. And this is where I, this is where I tweeted out, I think I'm at the end of Act 1 of this movie and over in 56 minutes. Because this is the point where I feel like, okay, now that they're finally together as a unit, this is as good as Act 2. <laughs> because this is also the part yeah. of the movie where he explains to her what he's doing. This is where we learn about the camera and about what he's actually doing. So right. it really felt like the end of Act One to me in that sense. If this, I mean, this movie doesn't even really have a three act structure. It has to have at least like five or six. But like, yeah, I mean, we can uh, sort of group things together into yeah. an act. But yeah, you're right. Yeah, and then the middle is in kind of Australia, and that's a lot of hijinks. And then I do like the kind of feeling of them coming together when they get to the the lab. Uh, but then there's a bit of a lull because it's kind of all this music playing and stuff, and I, I felt the pacing. Really well, I mean, the movie's of... been so there's been so much movement and motion, and then everything just stops once they get into the the outback. Yeah, and there is something so, to be and said. You can really feel the the halt of of the film. And there is something to be said. I think where the moment where the, the satellite thing obviously happens, because there's a whole like, every so often in the news you hear about them debating if the US are going to nuke it if that's safer mm-hmm. is that safe is it not safe and it sounds like they're going to do it and then this happens where they're in the plane and it does feel kind of a big apocalyptic thing where all of a sudden they're just gliding on like because it's like a desert below them so it just it feels like there's something that's really kind of yeah the end of the world happened and they're um the end of the world like what's, what's, what's the word i'm looking for the, the tone here is kind of um like serene but also like the feeling of not a funeral um that's mm. a, a word i'm looking for here but it doesn't really matter uh, somber yeah kind of somber it's, it's, it's somber but it, but in like a, a sort of epic scale though like because of this desert it feels like somber in an apocalyptic way <laughs> if that makes sense okay uh, okay uh but it feels like a big deal and I, I like that i like that and i like the idea that like yeah it's saying that if the world if the, if you think the world's going to end you all have to like try and like do whatever you want to do for those last few days for that last week or whatever um but then when the world doesn't end you have to go back to some sort of semblance of life how did you feel about the little fake out at the end where like after they've been separated and they've both gotten healthier there's a scene where william hart's like in the bar in san francisco because that's his hometown and she- I thought at first when they met up at the bar mm-hmm. that it was a bit of a cop out, and then it wrote, and then it was it turned out to be like oh, that's how I ended my book because you know it should have a happy ending or whatever. Yeah. I want a happy ending for these, but you know, real life is happy. It, but it's so. a be- it's a beautifully shot scene though because she sort of just walks in behind him and sneaks up, and there's a moment where he looks up, not at her, but obviously there's a mirror behind the bar. And just they kind of hold hands. It's actually a really beautiful scene. You can't miss that hair. Where, so, yeah. 
you kind of want it to be real. You're like, oh man, this feels wrong though. It feels a bit cheap, but you want it to be yeah. real. And then Sam Neill in the narration says, and that's how I ended the book, but that's not how things really happened. And we- It's a little- it's a little bit of a parasite ending, huh? Yeah, it is because we we end with uh, he actually goes to see his wife and kid and sees them with like a, a new husband, right? I mean, obviously not the kid's new husband, the new stepdad, uh, <laughs> and it's kind of this thing where it kind of hammers this point where he has to kind of let go of the past, like that that past he can't go back to now, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And you know, like we actually end the movie with her in like a in a space station, uh, where she's looking down over the oceans to like you know look for. You know, how do I get that job? Problems, and then it ends with this really. Ha- it, for pollution for for major like yeah. ocean pollution. And do you know what's so cool about this is that it ends with this thing where the happy family of like Chico, who was really friendly with them, and Bart and Winter and Sam. Oh, I think Bart's on this video call actually, but the other three are Winter's there because the PI mm-hmm. sort of grows close with them as does Chico. And because he, it's, just, it's just Sam Neill saying, "Hey, you know, happy birthday!" Oh, by the way, it was a surprise, and it's, it's like a it's like a group call on Skype where he brings in Chico and mm-hmm. and Winter, and they they all sing happy birthday in different languages to her because obviously because Chico's uh, French, uh, Winter's German, and he's obviously mm-hmm. well, he's not American. He's I, I don't know if he's maybe New Zealander. This may just be English. Uh, it's one of those things where I'm, not, I'm I not, think, yeah I think he's like English yeah uh, but they're all singing happy birthday in different languages and it, you know it ends with her in a space station looking over the world and it's like kind of like okay that's that I, you know, see if you'd ask me at the start of this movie and if, see if you show me the first 10 minutes and said what do you think where do you think this movie ends um, maybe nope. it's, maybe it's, guess that maybe it's poetic that it's like off earth like you know she's literally off the world Right, yeah. you know, she's Until the end of the world. She went That's to the, when the movie ends. She went to the one place she hadn't been yet, space. <laughs> yeah, she's still, you know, pushing forward on her adventure, still trying new things. Mm. Pretty sweet gig, though, like to be on a, a spaceship in orbit and just looking for ocean pollution. Kind of cool that uh, you don't have to go through any like big training to do it because <laughs> it was like her 30th birthday so <laughs> yeah doesn't seem like she had a whole lot of time to like go through i don't know and there's some nasa g- training <laughs> and there's comfort and like she has this weird makeshift family where she's real really good friends with these three people yeah. uh it's kind of a nice happy like beat in the end even, even if there's some stuff of like her and like sam never being together again like you get the sense that they both needed each other to go through this part of their life, but like again, mm-hmm. if they did go back together though, it would be what the movie's like speaking against. It'd be them chasing the nostalgia of their their fleeting romance of their fling mm-hmm. that they've had on that adventure. Yep, and look at where she is now. She's got a sweet job because <laughs> she didn't go back. You, you've really emphasized in the last three minutes how much you love it's this awesome. job. I get it. You I like it. You like the job. It's a fun job. Okay. <laughs> well, I also like the idea that you know that um, that Wenders thought that in a few years that these would just be civilian jobs that people can have. Like it's, mm. it's like a construction worker or you know pollution monitoring from space. It's kind of a, like an alien thing, right? Because the whole idea of aliens is that they're just essentially truckers in space. That's mm-hmm. that was the whole idea. Uh, is that anyone can be like on a ship crew because it's just normal in the future? It's kind of that idea. Yeah, it's probably very dangerous work. Like, not everybody wants to do it. Yeah. That's the opposite of what I just said, but okay. 
Well, I mean, like, like construction. Construction is dangerous work. Okay. Like, so is being out in space and gathering that, okay. minerals, stuff like that. That wasn't the point. I mean, the point I was getting at is that it's normal enough that tons of people have jobs in space, and it's not. It's not a sure. weird thing. That's the point I was making. Uh, I was thinking it would be like a blue collar job. <laughs> oh sure, okay, sure. I get what you're saying, yeah. but blue collar can also be, you know, not dangerous things. <laughs> That's true. I, I mean, like, labor. Yeah. True, true, true. Yes. Anyway, uh, so, I mean, that's the end of the movie. And there are parts that we've kind of glossed over because it's five hours long. We can't necessarily go into, like, super detail and everything. Um, yeah. You know. But it is worth mentioning that Sam Neill does stick with her through her cold turkey period. You know, he puts, he locks her in a cage and tries to get her over this and refuses to give her batteries for the little little uh, video, like, player she's mm-hmm. got that's showing all the dream image. And she goes, like, primal. Yeah. She goes real fierce about it yeah um it's like a proper uh little like i say it really reminded me of like someone detoxing of like a cold oh, turkey definitely, yeah it was definitely that same vibe she was in a rehabilitation cage yeah <laughs> but what, what i liked about it is that i never like once because see when he says like halfway through the movie that he's kind of he realizes that that, that old relationship that he had with her is done but he still wants to be in her life and he still wants to, I think at the end he even says he wants to grow old with her and be there for her, but that's just not mm-hmm. what they are anymore. Uh, like, when he first says that he realizes that that's over like halfway through the movie, I believe him. I, I, don't, I don't like question him and say, oh no, yeah. he's just saying that to himself. Like, no, he, he really does genuinely believe that and he's, he's he's there for her now, but it doesn't feel like he's, you know, hoping. It's not romantic anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I like that. I like that element of it. Uh, so it's a really good movie. Like honestly, it's a it's a, it's a great movie. Even I actually, th- it's probably my least favorite of the three Wim Wenders movies I've seen. I think just because it is such a goddamn huge commitment to to watch. It's both my least and my favorite. And it's also got that like sort of like you know forty minutes to an hour that I think is like, padded out a little bit. But like, I I thought it was beautiful almost the entire time. I I, I found mm. it captivating. I like the tone. I like the characters. I like the points that it was making. It just, you know, yeah, watch it in two or three chunks. Like, watch it in parts, because it is so hey, good. I think it, if you can watch it in the whole sitting, like, I think it's fine. Like, if you put it on early in the morning and you're going to sure. watch three movies anyway, just watch one. <laughs> yeah. I, either our mission to get up and walk around. I mean... It is surprising that there wasn't one. Yeah, it's weird, because I've seen movies that are, like, way shorter than this that have intermissions. It's, it's weird that this one doesn't. <laughs> But I, I guess it's because it was made as a director's cut, so they didn't necessarily feel the need to to do it. If this had come out like today, it would have been like a a Netflix special. Sure. Like six parter or HBO like six parter. Even even three episodes at like just over ninety minutes each. Like I that. wonder. I guess in nineteen ninety one, like maybe it was around the time of Lonesome Dove. But like, were there miniseries really? Um, I guess so. Like the stand was a miniseries. Yeah, but that was not, popular. yeah, but the stand. I think that was a bit later, though. Yeah, but the stand was. If you ever, I mean, I've never seen it, but I've seen the trailer. It is dirt cheap. Like it looks nothing. This movie looks great. Yeah, even Lonesome Dove was like, even though it was huge, it was. Uh, that one has some special effects, like that, lightning effects yeah. in it that are like. Ugh. But it's not even <laughs> just the effects. It just looks cheap. Like the the sets look cheap the locations look cheap mm-hmm. the, the video quality looks cheap this movie looks so I, cinematic and expensive yeah i think if a director has a vision and a story he wants to tell then he should take all the time that he needs to tell the story and you know occasionally if that means we're going to get some four or five hour films out of it like 
Yeah, they're rare. Like, I don't expect my my popcorn eating like blockbuster films to be this length, but the occasional one I'm okay Although with. Although they like, they have been ballooning in recent years uh, a little bit. Not to this length, obviously, yeah. but they've been playing. I mean, no, I like. I think if you've got this idea that it's going to take four hours, I, I do think this is more of a four-hour movie. That's it's it's like forty minutes too long, right? Is what I would say, which is weird because the director's cut is only like two hours forty, so that's far too short. Uh, but I, I'd almost yeah. be. I'd be fascinated to see what the, the the original cut looks like, though. I'd be fascinated to watch it and see like what's actually. Well, the original cut, out. cut apparently is like twenty hours. <laughs> no, not that. No, no, the original theatrical cut. I'm not saying the original like rough cut. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because well, it it didn't get very good reviews, and he's a pretty no. beloved director. So, I mean, that original uh-huh. that original rough cut, I guarantee you, probably was what I was joking about at the start when I said that. Oh, is it going to be just all this footage of her driving, like just all this atmosphere of like here's all these fancy locations we went to? I will say that's about the runtime though. Is when I looked at the uh, like when I when I first discovered the the actual cut of the theatrical cut, and then I realized that we were doing the director's cut. My my reaction was. Wim Wenders is a madman. Like, how many director's cuts do you know? How many can you think of where the additional runtime is over a hundred minutes? Mm. That's a that's a whole movie. No, no, I don't. I don't know. Like, I think the most I can think of is like forty minutes. Like, I think some of the Lord of the Rings have like an extra forty minutes. Maybe an hour. Yeah, but those aren't even really director's cuts. Those are like we have additional footage. We know that the fans want to see it. Sure, Let's oh, just sure. make an extended version. Like, well, to, Peter to, Jackson has said, like the theater theatrical releases are the right cut. Well, to, to, to be fair, half of the director's cuts are that. They just you throw yeah. the t- name around willy nilly. You're right, though. That is an example of like quite a lot of footage being added to an already long movie. <laughs> yeah, because like because Ridley Scott's director's cut, like. Technically, he calls it that, but it's not really. That that's more a case of oh, they wanted the new cut, so I thought, yeah, I'll just I'll do something. I'll make some changes, and you know. So, I mean, the the theatrical cut of Aliens, the one that I prefer watching, is better pacing. It's a better movie. Mm-hmm. So, uh, whereas Aliens, the special edition, is the better one. So that's the one I always watch. Uh, yeah, that's the way it is. Uh, and then you get to Aliens to you, which is a whole different conversation. Of we don't have a director's cut of that, and we never will. No, but we have a, a second cut, which is closer to what he probably wanted that the producer did, but is like, like, but it's so difficult. It's not just like added footage. It actually has alternate versions of things that the theatrical cut does. It's, it's a whole thing. Anyway, that's a whole conversation for another day. Um, but yeah, so, uh, yeah, I guess we'll rate the movie then. I guess we're, we're, we're done. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tara, what would you rate until the end of the world? Yeah, it's a very, very unusual film, but um, I I don't think the length of it is like a detriment for some reason. Um, I do still think it's a really good movie, uh, and uh, I think the sci-fi elements are are curious and like they they get it just right enough for me to to find it kind of endearing, and it's um surprisingly like. Cause I don't know. I I I saw the the runtime and I went. Oof, I don't know. I don't know if you can make a movie for for this long. And uh, I was wrong. Like it's it's pretty good. So um, I think it's a I I think it's an eight. I'm gonna give it eight. Not not quite eight point five. Um, but 
uh, yeah, just 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 an eight. I, I'm going to say it's great, but not like not it's just at the cutoff. <laughs> yeah, I I'm kind of in a similar place. I th- I think I think I'm also going to give it an eight. I think in rewatches, should I ever dare do it? <laughs> uh, it yeah, right. <laughs> it, it, it could rise. Be a hard movie to like show to somebody else. Yeah. Uh, hey, do you want to watch a movie? You know, it's you know, it's like ten p.m. Like, do you want to watch a movie? Yeah, I'll put in this one. Uh, don't pay attention at the runtime. <laughs> just put it in. And just like three hours later. Wait, wait a minute. How much of this movie's left? Ah, another hour forty. Like. <laughs> be up to like three in the morning uh so but like so yeah so there's some stuff i'd cut out but like ultimately as a great experience and i do think that uh you know i can add it to my list of oh wim wenders is a good director that's three movies of his i've seen Mm now and even though this is probably my least favorite of the three because of the length and because of maybe like some of the things i'd cut out uh, his confidence as a director and the way he shoots his scenes and how beautiful his films look is still there in this movie. So mm-hmm. um, I would recommend it in, in that case. But of course, set enough time aside for it and maybe split it in two. For the day or a weekend. Yeah. yeah. But that is that is until the end of the world. And as we mentioned earlier, next time we'll be tackling Edge of Tomorrow because 2020 is the year that that movie's set in. And, and we need a good popcorn dumb but but layered film yeah we had a movie that's less than two hours so the edge of tomorrow yeah. fit the bill uh, <laughs> one that we've seen already so it'd be easy yeah pretty one much we already know we like <laughs> so yeah that's what that's what's coming next time and there's all stuff after that which you'll hear about soon uh so apologies for being a little bit later in the week again uh well later in the week for patrons admittedly i mean by the time this goes publicly it'll be at the normal time of the week and they'll be like mm-hmm. well this was on time it's actually the previous episode that's late for the public but this will explain why. <laughs> this is why. <laughs> it was this movie. So, yep. yeah, so let us know what you think of the movie if you've seen it in the comments below. I, I don't know how many of you will have, but... Uh, it, it's on the Criterion app if you guys have that. Mm-hmm. Yep, so you can go watch it. Uh, you know, so like and subscribe, all the usual stuff. Get us on the Twitters, at the Ace Podcast. You can, of course, support the show by rating the podcast and Apple Podcast. Give us five stars and a little review. Helps us out a lot more people will find us that way. If you want to support the show, and financially, of course, we mentioned Patreon earlier, patreon.com slash TV. so you want to have a look. Uh, and once again, apologies for the slightly late bonus episode for February. It'll be in the first couple of days of March. We're recording that. We're recording this on Friday night. We're recording the bonus episode on Sunday night, so it'll be like the third or fourth uh that'll go up for patrons so and that is transos 3 that's the next one jack death the adventure mm-hmm. continues so look forward to that but uh yeah otherwise uh, tara why don't you promote some other content that uh, comes from Mailfuzz tv well if you're interested in science fiction um you okay foxy if you like science fiction you could check out our uh star trek picard reviews that are going on now while the show is still on the air and uh you can also check out the older star trek reviews that peter and connor are working through they're on season three of star trek the next generation so Mm. that's exciting big big season yeah we just did episode two uh so we're just just dipping our toes in season three but looking forward to some uh, exciting episodes but that is us. That has been not the longest episode of this show. I think that belongs to one of the Terminator movies. I, like honestly, like Terminators three 
through Dark Fate were all over two hours long. Uh, but this this is definitely the longest movie we've done. And dare I say, probably the longest movie we ever will do. Uh, <laughs> I can't imagine something topping this. I'm sure there'll be other three-hour movies that we'll do at some point, but five? Yeah, definitely. Probably not. So uh, thank you very much for watching and listening. And once again, we always appreciate it. Keep watching sci-fi movies, guys. And computer, add salsa. I got nothing. <laughs>